This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Today's episode is sponsored by Organifi, the world's best superfoods company. Use coupon code SOBERLIFE at checkout, all one word, to receive 15% off any of your Organifi purchases. Again, SOBERLIFE, coupon code 15% off all of your Organifi purchases. Check it out. Another episode of the, the Sober, Sober Life, Life Audio, Audio Experience. Experience. Romy Rome in the house. Boom, boom. Bri Bri. What up, baby? What's good, man? Hey, we got a special guest with us today. Yes, we do. Who do we got? Uh, we got the one, the only, the fabulous, fantastic man of the year, DeMont Burwell, my What's friend. What's up? The motherfucking man of the year. Yes. Man of the year. Yeah. What is up, man? <laughs> chilling, man. Chilling. Good yeah. to be here. Yeah, yeah it's good, good to have you here, man. Hey, we're glad you could make it. Yeah. Thank you for asking me. Coasting in. Coasting Straight off in. the freeway. Straight off yeah. the freeway. Coming straight from Long Beach. Straight from LBC. That's what we do. You come from Long Beach. We just came back from Palm Springs. Hey. What's up? Always on the move, making moves. That's it. Yes. Meeting in the middle, talking recovery, sobriety was yes. good. Yeah. We got three questions to yeah. that Okay, we I have three answers. Okay. Cool, perfect. So question number one, sure. Damon, what is your vision? My vision? Mm. Your vision. Wow, that's a great question. Yes. Um, you know, my vision, it's interesting because I think that is something that is dynamic it's not a, a a static concept you know as i've grown and evolved in my life you know my vision when i was 20 years old was to retire by the time i was 40 and make as much money as i possibly could thinking that acquiring things would make me okay right i acquired things and then it didn't make me okay so you know my vision as i've grown as i've gone inward as i've gotten to um, or taking the opportunity to really learn to get to know myself and love myself in, right. in, a, uh, in a true sense, in a pure sense, um, really my vision is to use all of the tools that I've been given mm-hmm. and, uh, and make an impact on the world, right? Um, that, that's, sure. that's my vision, is to, is to take what I've learned uh, in, in various different careers, various different experiences, and and nurture and build up and edify others. Love it. Big. Impact, legacy. Yeah, that's Absolutely. big. Okay. Cool. 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 Nice. Duman, question number two. Okay. What do you love? Myself. <laughs> and I can actually say that today. Um Dang. seriously. Um I love myself today. And and that wasn't the case for a long time. Um in recovery and out of recovery. Mm. Um, I didn't know what it meant to love myself. And um, so, yeah, that's a huge thing. Um, I love myself. I love being of service to others. Um, I love watching others grow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I love watching others grow. That, 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 I get a high out of that, you know, being able to work with people and not just in recovery. Right. You know, I, I mentor a lot of people in business and in life. Um, I wouldn't call myself necessarily a business coach or a life coach. It's just my, 
that's just my purpose. That's my ministry. Yeah. Is to is to build up others. Love it. Help people grow. Yeah. Yeah, I can do so, it. Question, question number three. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Hey, right, question got, number hey. number three here. What is the book that has influenced or shaped you? Oh. You can go more. I than have one. to pick one. Yeah, pick, pick your pick, top couple. Yeah, put, pick one, and then you wow. can have like yeah, a, you can elaborate. Yeah, but yeah, a book wow. that has influenced or shaped you. Influenced or shaped me? Gosh, I mean, to to narrow that down to one would be really, really difficult. Um, the big book comes to mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely the big book. Um, Another one that has really impacted my life is uh, The Art of Power. Mm. Um, Who's that by? The Art of Power is by Thich Nhat Hanh, okay. I believe. Yeah. And um, that has a huge influence on my life. Currently, I'm reading another Thich Nhat Hanh book called The Art of Communication. Mm. Okay. And uh, my path, um, my journey um, growing up, you know, Southern Baptist and coming from a line of preachers. My mom's a minister. Um, and through my life, I just, you know, was always seeking and searching. And I think that's one of the reasons why I found substances so appealing as a part mm. of that search from yeah. psychedelics to, to other, you know, party drugs and things of that nature. Right. Oh, and yeah. where my path has taken me over the past couple of years is getting back into my, um, my Buddhist practice. Right. Um, so, you know, you hear the term mind mindfulness thrown around a lot and right. almost loses its meaning or luster because just people say be mindful be mindful <laughs> yeah be spiritual like what does that mean yeah it's like the new cool or something it's the new cool yeah it's know? like the thing like yeah. jp seriously like mocking that which is awesome because yeah. some people take themselves too seriously but where i'm at in my walk is really um is really looking at attachments right and and the things that i'm attached to and understanding that attachment promotes suffering Mm. And, and, and that can be people, places, things, beliefs, principles, mm-hmm. and, and, and seeing how that is, um, held me in bondage. And so I seek out literature, um, that helps me in my practice. Right. Absolutely. There you go. Well, Demond, it's, it's an honor to have you on. You've always been like a pillar in the community, Thank you. someone who's been looked up to, uh, just for the listeners, can you give us some background, some perspective? Who are you? Yeah, like just kind of the Who like. Who you be? What you just, do? Just, just some of the like. What's the con- deal? Some context. Some for, context? Yeah, okay. like maybe where like you come from. Like my story? Uh, a little bit, yeah. It was like, like the, the spark notes. Okay. Yeah, Version. like, like kind of just so like if someone had never, like didn't know who you were, they might be able to put some type of image together. Sure, you sure. Yeah. It's funny, like, who am I? You know, I, 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 because, you know, I, it's easy to throw labels out there. And, yeah. and, and what I've learned is that, that those labels are, um, they're insufficient. Right. Right. Like, I, I, I am more than the, than the sum total of my experiences. Mm-hmm. They've helped shape me, but I'm more than those experiences. And so for me, you know, I'm, I'm a guy from upstate New York originally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, grew up in a good home, um, had everything that I you know needed and most of the things that I wanted out of life. And mm-hmm. I, I never really wanted for anything; uh, was all provided for me. And I was somebody that um, you know always just was at. I was uneasy with myself, mm-hmm. um, and that that carried through uh, 
all throughout my young adult or my adolescence, my youth, my adolescence, and my young adult life. And I used to use whatever I could in order to make myself feel better. It was sports for a long time. Right. It was TV for a long time. Uh, Then it turned to drugs and alcohol for a long time, Mm. you know, and it was always constantly looking for something outside of me to fill inside of me. And um, when I was 22 years old, uh, I found myself living in uh, South Florida, and I was in the nightclub business, and um, and I was married, and uh, and I had a newborn child, and uh, and I at the headspace that I was in at that time, that's not what I wanted out of life. It turns uh-huh. out that's the thing that changed my life, though, mm. and uh, that was twenty three years ago, you know. And so what happened is. Uh, my family intervened, as I see happen with a lot of young people. Uh, re- yeah. Recovery was forced upon me. It wasn't nice. something that I wanted. Right. And and I resented it. But uh, under the, the what, pressure. What that look like? An intervention? Uh, kind of. Yeah. Uh, one of my aunts is a clinical psychologist. Okay. okay. And, um, and then one of my uncles uh, was at uh, a therapeutic community in San Francisco. He had been sober for three years at that time okay and uh and my ex-wife called my aunt uh with without my knowledge and and said what was going on and i got a phone call and Uh, and i and i was told that the whole family knew and that the gig was up and that i needed mm. to make a decision either get sober or die and uh, i said i needed to think about it Mm. (laughs) was that a long drawn out thought the month it, it, she gave me an hour. She couldn't okay. believe, once she came to from the disbelief of me actually saying that, she, yeah, right. she yeah. gave me an hour. <clears throat> Excuse me. She gave me an hour. She said, call me back in an hour. Yeah. Right. I was like, okay. And, uh, and what happened is when I hung up the phone, I looked in the mirror, really looked in the mirror for the first time in a long time. And I didn't like what I saw. Mm. And, um, and I said, well, I'll, I'll try to negotiate this, this whole deal. And, and, and uh, because I still wanted to have some control, and I still wasn't convinced that everything was was as bad as I as as was being projected. Right. But without any other options, I came out to California, and um, and that's where my journey of recovery began. Right. And and one of the things that I've learned is that while that was the beginning, I needed to go through a lot of things in order to get to the place that I am today. And what that looked like for me, very very simply is that I, I had a lot of reservations uh, about mm-hmm. recovery. Right. Um, What's a, what were some of those reservations? Um, For those that don't know what a reservation sure, is. A reservation. It's, it's terminology we use sure, regularly. Yeah. Uh, a reservation is just a, a thought or belief like, you know, well, I'm going to reserve the right, like, uh, excuses kind of. Yeah. Right? Like, well, if my parents die, it's an excuse to drink. If, uh, if I ever right. had a terminal diagnosis. Terminal diagnosis, uh, marriage, yeah. uh, New <laughs> Year's, um, you know, being a 22-year-old young person, like mm-hmm. I can never smoke a joint again or have right. a glass of champagne, even though I didn't want a anything. A, right. anything. Yeah, yeah. I wanted all of it, yeah. you know? And so those were some of the reservations that I had. I think the biggest one is that um, that I was different. Mm. And I think that was a fear that I had throughout my entire life, a fear of being different. Right. And then coming into recovery and doing some work, I realized that I am different and I was able to embrace my differences. Right. I, I think, you know, in our society today, we're so um, bent 
on saying that everybody's equal and everybody's the same. And I don't necessarily hold with that belief. I think we're all unique in our own ways. Right. I think we should be treated yeah. with equity mm-hmm. and fairness. Equity meaning meeting people where they are, right? you know, and making allocations for that. But, you know, we have our, our differences. And and, yeah. and those things are to be celebrated. I, I right. But for a long time, there was fear in that because if I'm different, then I'm not going to be accepted. And if I'm not accepted, then I'm going to be alone. Yeah. And my fear of being alone mm. is yeah. comes yeah. down to either God doesn't exist or God doesn't love me because yeah. I know that self reliance fails me. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And how I came to the place where self reliance fails me is I look through my life and always trying to purpose to do something, and I would get you know, sidetracked or it would blow up in my face. And so well, when you had to exert a lot of self too. To get yeah. There. Yeah, a- absolutely. And so Keep for trying. Yeah. And so, you know, for a 10 year period of time, I, I, I went to 12 step fellowships and did some other things and, and it was good because I got some information and I got some knowledge, but again, I still had in the back of my head that somehow I'm not like everybody else and mm-hmm. I'm going to do it my way. And, uh, I was still under the lure of money, property, and prestige thinking, excuse me, that those outside things would make me whole. Those outside things would make me socially acceptable. Right. And, and I thought that social acceptability equated to recovery. Mm. And, and, and it didn't. And what happened is I started to accumulate things, and then the things that I accumulated didn't make me feel any different. What? So... Th- as that's going on, sure. And you're like, are you noticing that you're getting the things? You're not feeling different. Like, what? What did that lead to? Well, you know, like to try harder, do more. Well, yeah. I mean, or, if I put if I put drugs and alcohol down, I think most people that find themselves in recovery um, are talented people, mm-hmm. and and many are of above average intelligence. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. I put down some poison that's keeping me unconscious and I just actually exert some work, I'm going to get some results. Now, that looks different for everybody. Right. Right? And so that's what happened for me is like the drugs and alcohol were put down. I learned how to be, as it said, a worker amongst workers. Mm-hmm. And with a lot of hard work, uh, hustle, and a little bit of luck, um, I achieved a lot of material success. But I thought that that material success would make me okay Mm -hmm. and i found myself in 2001 with like seven years seven seven and a half years and um living in a house in del cerro out by san diego state and i'm bawling my eyes out in my living room in more spiritual pain than i had ever been in my life Mm. and and asking god and looking up and saying this is it yeah you know and 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 that's not to say that being prosperous or making money is is not a good thing. It's what happened for me is that my perception of what those things uh, made me, my perception of what I thought it meant to be a man, were, were tied up in my ability to provide and make money. And, and I know today that that doesn't define my manhood. Let me ask you this. Did you have... Aside from your reservations, mm-hmm. did you have expectations on what recovery would do for you? You know, I, I don't know if I had, I didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. 
all I knew is that I was used to being in the club business and a party guy and a popular right, guy, right? And that recovery at as a as a er, someone in their early twenties looked like being a straight square, and, <laughs> and and that just didn't that wasn't sexy or attractive to me, right? That I thought that well now I'm just going to be boring mm-hmm. and I'm going to leave this like leave it to Beaver Father knows best life, and I didn't want that. Like I right. wanted that, but I didn't want that. You know what I mean? I wanted yeah. to be like yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And, and and so that wasn't. I didn't know what to expect. Yeah, you know, and then what I heard in in meetings is is people you know with with some time talking about the things that they acquired in their recovery yeah and so 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 my fallacious reasoning my deductive reasoning is oh well when i have 3 years when i have 4 years when i have 5 years then i'm supposed to have these things and the problem was uh the way my recovery uh evolved is that at 3 years i didn't have those things so if I don't have those things, therefore I, I'm not. I must not be recovered, mm-hmm. right? So it was it was it was the perception or the attachment to those things, and I would hear people say, "Oh, well, I you know I got this, right? I got my husband or my wife yeah. or the house or the car, you know, or the money or whatever those things were, and I owe it all to blank anonymous, right? Right? Yeah. And so my thought was, well. I'm supposed to have these things. The program is I'm going to do this work and then I'm supposed to get these things. And I think that's something that is not talked about a lot. Yeah. And, and it is something that newer people or even people that have been around for a while have this perception that once I get to this point, my life is supposed to look like X. Right. And if my life doesn't look like X, then I must be doing something wrong or it doesn't work. Yeah. And judging your insides based on what you see on the outside. Yeah. You know, yeah, that can be tough. So I guess those were, yeah, so I guess those were things that I expected. Right, Right. but you didn't know that you had expectations. It was almost subconscious based Mm -hmm. on the information that you were receiving. Right. Right. And it was, it wasn't bad information. It was incomplete information. Yeah, you just didn't, if you're looking to compare yourself to others, it's invalid, Mm -hmm. right? You can't do it. The only one you can compare yourself to is yourself. And and what a lot of what I heard and I still hear today is is an incomplete thought in mm. terms of it's really easy to self promote, yeah, and say I got all of these things, but not talk about the struggles. Mm. You know, um, I mean, you see, be, being being untreated or just going through the rigors of life and in, in, in terms of evolution, yeah, right. the sleepless nights, the self doubt, the fear. The vulnerability. The vulnerability. Yeah. yeah. And thinking that being vulnerable is a bad thing or vulnerability is a bad word, and it's not. Mm-hmm. And, right. and that's something that I've learned yeah. by reading people like Brene Brown and, yeah. and others that yeah. tackle these things and then give me a new definition of a word. Well, and that's something I've always, you know, I want to acknowledge you for and appreciate about you is that you do pretty much when I've heard you share or have been in relationship with you, it's pretty vulnerable. Yeah. Like, like honestly, like as opposed to some other people. It kind of gave me the chills because I think back and that was something that I was so afraid of. Yeah. And, and, and that fear uh, caused me to harm people physically, mm-hmm. yeah, emotionally, you know, financially, because 
I thought being vulnerable, if I was vulnerable, then I'd be taken advantage of and I'd be taken advantage of, then I might be, you know, I don't know, screwed over, all of it, you know, judged. So, so thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, man. There's, there's a lot of people out there too that probably suffer from the same fear. I think we all do. It's it's super common. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to cover it up. I think, you know, with stuff. With or saying, hey, look relationships what I got. or whatever, yeah, yeah. and say, oh, it looks great. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we the the reality TV and all the yeah. stuff, and yeah. it looks real. It looks real gravy on the outside. Instagram looks real, real cool, but uh, you know what's really going on behind yeah. the scenes, and so, and the fear of actually talking about that. And I know I had that. That if I, if you really knew who I was, you wouldn't like me. Right. So I've got some questions for you sure. about being young and sobriety. Mm-hmm about what was it like maybe we we talked a little bit about you know working and that avenue what was it like maybe maybe dating and and being in sobriety what was it like maybe being social like not we don't have to just take the dating no, route, but great... like like for people that are listening for the idea of that leave it to beaver mentality mm-hmm. like what were some of the things that you did to put some fun into it you know one of roman and i's purpose behind doing this is like our message is like being sober isn't the end of the world. No, it's not lame. There shouldn't be a label on sobriety. Yeah, like sobriety equals whatever. Dot you dot think. dot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really whatever you make it, right? Absolutely. And I, and I, for me, what I my my understanding is it really comes down to innately who you are. Yeah. Um, you know, the three of us have a lot in common. I know. I mean, yeah. I know you guys personally. I, I've watched your. All both of your entire journeys of recovery, <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, from from the beginning and first and second time, yeah, yeah first and second yeah, time, yeah. Right? and uh, you know, like myself and like some past guests that are really close friends of mine that you've had on here, yeah, you know, we are we're we're party guys, yeah, right? you know, I don't know how else to put it. We like to promoters. have promoters, yeah, promoters, yeah. party, <laughs> have a good time. Yeah, not everybody's like that. Nope. Right. So I think that the key is to really tap into who you are and going back to dovetailing back into talking about differences and celebrating the differences that you have. So for me, recovery, because such, you know, from 19 to 22, I was living in South Miami beach and in the nightclub life, like that was a, that's a, that was a big thing for me. So getting into recovery and and originally up in the Bay area, um, I found myself, I was, I I find myself, I, I think I was blessed and fortunate. And the reason why I say that is that I didn't hide out in, 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 in the rooms, right? right? I didn't, my fellowship wasn't limited to young people that were in recovery. Mm-hmm. What I found in, in Berkeley and in San Francisco and in Oakland was a fellowship of young people that were like-minded. Mm-hmm. Some of them drank, some of them didn't. Most were college age, but a lot of them, the common denominator is we were all going in the same direction. Right. Yeah. And, and self-improvement. Yeah. And so what that did is it helped me frame my picture of what recovery could be. That I learned that I could go out and have mm-hmm. fun with people that are quote unquote normal that right. weren't trying to get like, I hate this term, but lit. You know, all all the time, you know, (laughs) it was just like, we're going to go out and have a little bit of fun and we're going to laugh and we're going to joke and we're going to go out to eat and we're going to go to shows. And so that was what early recovery in my twenties looked like. And I don't know what it looks like for, yeah. So it looked like 
it was it was uh, it was a holistic experience and yeah. you know all encompassing experience. So that's what it was like for me. Yeah, you know, is that and I and I promote that for people if right. if that is who you are, who you are, yeah, right. And so that's what it looked like for me as far as dating. Man, it's I was having a conversation with uh, uh, a woman last night after a, a BBA meeting mm-hmm. and uh, and UTC. And, you know, the women in my family, my, my mother, uh, my aunts, um, even my daughter, uh, are very accomplished women mm-hmm. who I have a lot of reverence and love for. And it wasn't until my second time in recovery and, and doing some deeper spiritual work and deeper writing that I realized that I had a very poor view of women mm. and learning how to reconcile that. Mm-hmm. So what that looked like for me is even though I had all of this love and reverence for these strong women in my life is that uh, I was very selfish and I was very self-centered. I was domineering, mm. um, which for me equated to being a womanizer. And I right. used women like I used drugs, and I used women like I used alcohol, mm-hmm. and I used women like I used money. You know, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. Right. Right. And so I didn't have the ability to have a monogamous relationship. I tried. I would go in with the intention of being monogamous, but fidelity was a concept that was lost on me. Mm-hmm. You know, and it caused me a lot of pain. Mm. You know, and, um, you know, after, you know, as you guys know, I drank after 10 years and a lot of that had to do with the chasing of the things and right. not growing and enlarging my spiritual life, uh, not staying in action. I think that's the key. I don't care what fellowship you yeah. go to. Stay in action. It's, 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 it's action. Like it's, it's activity. I was just going to ask, what were some of the lessons you think you've learned from that experience after having 10 years sure. going out? Well, and, and you're you're actually kind of already going into it, but yeah. what were some of your biggest lessons? Like, if you could go back and and for those listening, like, what were some of the key distinctions that made the difference when you came back? Sure, uh, being sufficiently beat up for one. I, yeah. I think you know what I could say to our listeners, particularly our young listeners. What I learned is that, and this is not an excuse to go out and 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 do more research, but <laughs> but for me. As I said earlier, you know, recovery was thrust upon me by or forced upon me by my family. Mm -hmm. When I came back, it was because I wanted to come back. No one told me to come back. I made the decision to come back. And so I think the intention had already been set. Right. And with that intention, then I would became willing to do the deeper work. The things that I said that I would never talk about, the amends that I said that I would never make. Mm. Because the fact of the matter is, is that from 22 to 32, I usually say that you know the only thing that changed was the fact that I was I wasn't drinking and using, but that's inaccurate mm-hmm. because I did change a lot. Mm-hmm. What were the what were the changes? Well, just learning how to be, you know, a worker amongst workers. You know, learning how to be charitable. Mm-hmm. The problem was is that I was still extremely selfish and self centered, so I would do these things but only for my own selfish gain. Right. Right. And so 
which always more or less caused me drama. And I had drama in my life through that, that whole 10 year period of time. And then, you know, and, and, and drinking and then coming back, you know, after a three year relapse, what, what I was ready to do is to tackle some of these things, yeah. you know, the thing, the issues of fidelity, mm-hmm. um, learning how to be selfless, learning how to like myself, mm. appreciate myself, love myself, learn what it meant to be of service to myself. Right. Yeah. You know, it would, and, and you could sum it up in right living, but what that looks like for me is proper rest proper yeah. diet, proper exercise, but, you know, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, yeah. doing what I need to do. Uh, if there's other things that are going on, like with my depression and having, and tackling those issues, things that I never was dealing with, or would just deal with by trying to consume more of whatever. Right. Right. So those were, those were some of the lessons like, when I looked in retrospect, when I came back, it was what I realized is that I, I needed to uh-huh. open my mind to have a new outlook about this thing mm-hmm. and, and, and face the fact that I didn't know who I was. Mm. And, and was this easy? Hell no. Hell no. Um, it's funny. And you know, I'm coming up on 10 years again and right. on, on October 11th. And I, you know, throughout periods of this last 10 years, I compare sobrieties yeah, of course or recoveries of course because yeah. i like to as you guys know i like to say it was like 10 years of abstinence sprinkled in with periods of sobriety right yeah because right? yeah, that's yeah. really kind of what it was like i was <laughs> abstaining but i wasn't sound of mind but... yeah. and you weren't doing the work yeah at, you know at various times not consistently yeah. right you, you know what i mean um so in comparing the two I get to see where I've grown in areas and in learning that it doesn't always equate to the material mm-hmm. or the physical. Um, but no, it hasn't been easy. Mm. Um, and I was resentful for a while because right. I would look at where I was at like six or seven years. <laughs> and I was like, well, when I had six or seven years before I was sitting on a, a big, big, big stack. Right. And I'm, you know, it, it didn't look like that. And I was right. like, and so I would start to get down on myself. And then I had to realize, and I appreciate, you know, people like you and others that allow me to see a reflection of myself that I don't get to see. And what I mean by that is people being able and holding space for people to be able to share how they see me. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and actually believe it. You know, to actually have acquired some emotional sobriety, not just physical sobriety, and actually believe the yeah. things and accept the things that are true of myself, which really is what humility is, right? A clear right. recognition of who and what I am. Right. Oof. What yeah. what have been what have been some of your toughest challenges yeah. in in sobriety? Like maybe this go around. Mm. Um and, and how what have you done to take them on? we're all about we want to we, we're all about providing value sure. and really like trying to speak to the listeners and what they may or may not be going through sure you know? so what are, yeah the challenges yes. and, and how you've tackled them yeah i mean gosh i mean i've dealt with a lot of death i got divorced <sighs> sober i with my first time around um 
You know the Beth the uh Wayne's death? Yeah. Yeah. Was uh extremely profound for me. Yeah. Um Oof. Yeah, that was my brother, my yeah. best friend. Um Yeah. That's number two. The the hardest and was that um my daughter asking me to relinquish my parental rights when she was sixteen. And uh and I did that. And the beauty of that whole uh, trip was is the fact that my relationship with my daughter is stronger than it's ever been today. Mm-hmm. Wow! And, and at the I, time, did you think that that was going to happen? No, I was really hurt, and I was, and uh, and 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 a lot of it was my ego, and a lot of it was, you know, I screwed up, and and I made it about me, mm. and and I didn't take into consideration how she derived at that conclusion and why she derived at that conclusion. And out of respect for her, I won't go into those things. Right. But the fact of the matter is I knew it wasn't easy. And, uh, the woman that was the, the investigator slash caseworker for that whole thing, we sat down and talked and she told me that, uh, you know, quite candidly that, you know, I could fight it and I probably would win, but that I was going to lose my daughter. And that if I loved her, that I needed to give her what she wanted and one day that she would see the sacrifice that was made. Mm. And, um, but it also meant that there was work that I had to do to amend that relationship, right? Mm. Wow. Which was work that I had to do on myself in order mm-hmm. to be able to show up for my daughter the way that she deserved and wanted right. me to. In and, sobriety. In sobriety. Yeah. And, and you've done that. And I've done that. Really? Um, you know, at the at to the point where you know she's twenty three years old, and and she calls dad for advice. Wow. She's like, Daddy, I wow. you know I need some direction, and that's so you know, amazing. for me, that's you turning a tragedy into a triumph. That mm-hmm. while I felt sorry for myself, and I was wallowing in self pity and feeling worthless and less than and angry and resentful, mm-hmm. and and all of those things, right? Yeah. The key was is that I had to get into action. I had to lick my wounds. I had to allow people to love on me. I had to yeah. be able to be vulnerable and to share with people what was going on. And and at that time, when the men's group that I was going to and, and my family and those in my support group were all like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But, you know, I had to go inward. Right. You know, yeah. and, and, and I had to seek that inner resource, that inner knowledge, you know, and have that kind of heart to heart with myself and God and, and be selfless. Right. Even though it wasn't what I wanted, it wasn't about what I wanted. If I really wanted to amend or make that relationship whole, that I needed to honor that request. And that's Mm -hmm. paid off a hundredfold. Nice. Nice. Damn. Wow. There was a lot in there. Yeah, it was. Dang. And it speaks to, you know, like the at the end of the day, the ultimate relationship is between you, your higher power, and really having the intuition to follow that. Yeah. And the faith, man. And the faith. A lot of that has to do, you know, I was talking to my mom the other day, and I was sharing with her, you know, all the good things that are going on in my life right now. And, and, and she said very, very plainly, my mom's like my spiritual advisor, right? Mm-hmm. right. She, she like, she got the book. Mm-hmm. okay you know what i mean okay. like that book that you that we've yeah, been yeah. searching for like she she got it, like, got she, it. she gets it she knows it yeah That's and um 
And we were talking and, and she was like, you know, this is a direct result of the intense spiritual work that you've been doing the past couple of years. And what I have to be honest, and I don't want to be controversial in any way, shape or form, but what that meant and what I understand that to be is that when I look at all any, and I don't consider myself a great spiritual teacher, but just using this as a, as an analogy okay. is that when you look at, you know, all the great spiritual teachers, they all had one thing in common is that, you know, they did their study, but ultimately they went off and took a walk and searched alone to find themselves yeah. and find God. Right. And and so over the last couple of years, while I still go to meetings and, and I'm still active, uh, a, a lot of it has been doing that, going inside, that that it's not about always doing more step work or going yeah. to more meetings or having more service commitments or doing and being a doer. Wow. It's about going inside for me yeah. is my experience and really being able to learn how to have a relationship with self and, and, and hear that inner voice and understand that I'm, you know, perfectly and wonderfully made mm -hmm. and that it's a, it's my responsibility to clear, you know, away the wreckage mm -hmm, and right. affect that, that power and affect that relationship and do those things in my life Yes, that help to continue to keep my house clean. Yeah. Right? And that's yeah. a perfect segue before we kind of get toward the end here is the inner work. And one thing I know about you is, and, and I'd actually really like you to speak into this is dealing with depression mm. and sobriety. Sure. So how has that walk? How was that journey? What have you done? What were some of the ways you took yourself on while like dealing with depression, which is something again, it's like not talked about. Sure. Like, it's not brought up. Because everything's got to look good, be good, do good, it's good, hush, good, hush. good. Right. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm good. Da -da -da. I'm fine. <laughs> it, you know, I'm for fine. me, it, 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 and it didn't look good. <laughs> you know what I mean? It didn't look good. Like, and, and having to share with people that, you know, at seven years that I wanted to walk in front of the coaster. Mm. That was three years ago. Yeah. And I had a job. I was working in Sorrento Valley. I was working yeah. in finance. You know, I had sponsees. I had commitments, you know. And walking in front of the coaster wasn't such a bad idea. And that was a recurring thought that I had like a couple times a day. And being open and sharing that with somebody mm -hmm. and, and getting honest with the fact that I may go, you know, s sleep on my couch for a week straight and not eat and not shower and just binge watch Netflix <laughs> or have a depression session at like 1130 and go get some pastries and ice cream. Cause that's, that's my get. And getting honest about that. And, and uh, a couple of friends I got honest with one who has uh, nearly 30 years and we've known each other a long time. And I, and I got open with her and she's like, you need to go see a doctor. And I was like, yeah, I'm good. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm somebody that promotes that, you know, working in, the field of recovery, mm -hmm. right. um, working in treatment, working in in in, in healthcare, I, I am a proponent of people getting help, and it speaks to the insanity and really the um, the hypocrisy of my thinking and the arrogance in my thinking. Like it's good for you, but I don't need that, even though yeah. I'm dying. Right? right. So there was a lot of that. You know, there's been plenty of weeks where you know over the years where I just checked out. And then I would have people, well-intentioned people say, 
you know, oh, I've been depressed before. Well, you just need to go to more meetings and do more step work. Uh, and, and me really want to put my fist in uh, their face because it's like, you don't get it. Yeah. And, and I can't blame them for not getting it, that they're, that they're well-intentioned. And, and, and I, can, I can choose to get mad <laughs> right. and, and, and huff and puff and no one understands me. Or I can say, well, I have to go out and do the work. Because, again, at the end of the day, like, it's about fellowship and having community but I have to take this journey. Yeah, I have to right. do the work myself. No one right. can do the work for me. It's right? you, absolutely. If it's to be, it's yeah. up to me. And so I did get help, and I did go to a doctor, and I did see a psychiatrist for a while, and I did go on uh, Prozac, and mm-hmm. and it was good, and and I'm glad that I did that. And um, you know, I lost that uh, the job that I had at that time, which meant that I lost my insurance, and so mm. I couldn't pay for the medication. Um, and so this same friend, we were talking and we were kind of both at the same place spiritually. And what I realized is that I had been out of my practice for a long time, my meditation practice. And so wow. that's when I made the decision to get back into my my practice. And and that, for me, yeah, is has been helpful. Um, I haven't found the need to go back on medication, but that's amazing. If if it became operative for me to do so mm-hmm. um i'm willing nice. right okay. but but what i do know is since i've made that decision it's imperative that that i keep up with my practice and i and i haven't been consistent with my practice and, and i feel it mm-hmm. right um and when i feel it i was like okay you got to get back to work so for me a lot of it I do a lot of walking meditation. I do a lot of hiking, go out to Cleveland National Forest and, and okay. other places. And so that's kind of like my church is, is yeah. going to the mountains or going to nature. The desert. Yeah. 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 That's kind of, that's my jam. And that's where I get quiet and centered Word. and, and go within. Uh, so that's my depression was and 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 the acknowledgement of, of my condition was really a blessing in one respect because it provoked me into action that that i didn't want to be on medication but if i didn't want to be on medication then i had to find some other right action to take Mm -hmm. right you know yeah um and so that's that's kind of what the depression and i you know and i still struggle with it from time to time but when i'm taking care of myself as i am now and and that means like not binge watching tv yeah. Um being mindful of my spending because I if I'm feeling bad then I want to get outside of myself right. so then I'll spend money to get outside of myself and then I'll put myself in a position where I'm in financial stress which and makes me it, feel bad yeah. about myself. And so now <laughs> I it's this self fulfilling deal, right? Right. That I'm creating right. the chaos that I'm afraid of. And that I'm trying to get away from, right? So, so it's just being being more present and and uh, and aware and conscious of my behaviors, being conscious of uh, my associations. That I think a big thing for me that's helped change my perspective, and I I started on this when I had three years, was actively learning how to accept people for who they were. Mm-hmm. As opposed to demand they be what I want them to be. Mm. Wow, you know, 
and 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 that's meeting people where they are and accepting like if somebody and I use this analogy a lot and I have friends and acquaintances God love them and I love them you know but they're gossips mm-hmm. right I know they're gossips mm-hmm. they'll sit up and tell me everybody else's business and then ask me how I'm doing mm-hmm. now I have a choice to make with that information yeah right and so if I share intimate information with them knowing that they're a gossip but I have this arrogant belief that they're not going to gossip about me. And then they go ahead and gossip. I really don't have a right to be mad at them because not I knew who all. they were. Not right. at all. The responsibility is mine. Yeah. Right? And so that's one of the things that I, if I could share with anybody, with anybody that's listening or will listen to this podcast is that it's my responsibility, my happiness, my well being, mm-hmm. my recovery is my responsibility. That doesn't mean it gives people permission to act or do whatever they want to do towards me. But if somebody, you know, in the term like with gossip or negative energy or whatever it is, if it's not speaking to my spirit in that moment, I don't need to correct those people anymore. Right. I allow them to be who they are and I just remove myself from the situation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They're happy being them. Yeah. I'm happy being me. Yes, right. You know, and that is giving me more Dude. freedom. Yeah. Wow. Than, than, I'm not going to say than anything, but that's giving me a tremendous amount of freedom to allow people, whether they're people that I work with, you know, in recovery or, or coworkers, um, and my, my personal relationships with others. Right. 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 That I allow them to be who they are. You know, I can't, I can't change anybody and to try to sit there and try to force people to fit into whatever image I think they're supposed to be, even though I don't tell them what that looks like <laughs> right. and they get pissed off at them when, when they, they don't, don't do, do it, it. Yeah. Right. which is usually what romantic relationships look right. like, right? It's like, <laughs> you need to be this guy or you need to be this girl. I'm not going to tell you who that is. But if you don't, but out. if you don't do it. But as soon as you stop doing yeah. what I expect you to do, there's going to be smoke in the yeah. city, which yeah. is disingenuous and, yeah. and not, it's, it's, you it's know. A, you, yeah. know it, you know, you know, in wrapping all this up, it's like, so, dude, you hit on so many good points. Mm-hmm. Right, Bri? Absolutely. Like, and I'm just sitting here thinking, I'm like, you know what? If no one listening to this <laughs> or watching this is an alcoholic or suffers from you know, addiction or alcoholism, sure. if they're just regular, normal, everyday people listening to this, there's a ton of valuable information that they could obtain just from this i appreciate this the show yeah, i appreciate because I, I think yeah. I, I think we give i think we give too much credit to um substance use disorders and yeah use well i'm an alcoholic so i act this way no you just need to be better and do better yeah. right right yeah. It, it it really is just a part of it yeah right right at the at the end of the day the root of it is 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 trauma unconscious thought Mm-hmm. unconscious action and that's something that affects everybody not mm-hmm. just people that have a substance use disorder or mood disorder eating yeah. disorder yeah you know it's like everybody feels that um, wow. and i think if we as, as a collective start to think that way that we're not the only ones we don't have a patent on being right effed up yeah you know what i mean yeah. Then, then that opens up the door to be more empathetic and compassionate. Well, we, As I've done more work on myself, I get to be more empathetic and compassionate. Yeah, we're all here together. Yeah. Hands down. Yeah. So, 
For those listening and for those watching, I just want to say before we end, thank you, Damon, for being on. We appreciate it. Yeah, where where can people find you? Yeah. Is that some of you? It's up to you. It's your thing. Find me where? Uh, yeah, where? Social where? or or if you have any plugs or anything, you plug want to yourself, throw out there. man. Yeah. This is plug, your opportunity. I never, to plug I, I never do that. I, I, I don't like that. <laughs> okay, but but right, but what I will say is, uh, <laughs> uh, if I have to, gosh, I mean, do it. I'm around. You yeah. know, uh, San Diego, San Diego. I live in North Park, North Park Hillcrest. Like, that's kind of uh-huh. like my. My stomping grounds. I'm not going to plug any any businesses. Uh-huh. Um, if you're if you're uh, in recovery or, or in treatment and you're looking um, to for some assistance in your recovery to be help be held accountable, um, you can go to uh, weconnectrecovery.com. Okay, and and learn about what we're doing. We have a mobile platform application that helps to uh, promote accountability and shrink. Uh, communication gaps for nice. uh, those seeking uh, recovery and awesome. those that are um, uh, supporting them and wow. also collecting outcome data for treatment centers so that they can figure out what works That's and amazing. what doesn't work. What is That's, that? We connect? We connect recovery.com. Perfect. Awesome. That's a good plug. Though. There you go. There Bam. And right. also for those listening and watching, I want to say that if you want to be a part of the show, you want to reach out, you want your story to be heard, you know someone that's got a crazy, amazing story, or you just want to say, hey, what's up? You can reach us on Facebook at Sober Life Coach and Brian Amaro, as well as Roman Brawley. Hit us up. We want yeah, to be a baby. service. We're here to help. That being said, thank you for another episode of the Sober, Sober Life, Life Audio, Audio Experience. <laughs> Good night. Bye. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography, and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today.